Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Unsolicited with George D. I'm your host and your crony. This is a safe space for uninvited personal truths and opinions. A little housekeeping as always. I want to let everybody know this is a construction zone, so we build in here. Also want to let you know as the show title insinuates, all our dialogue, all our discussion comes free of your approval, your authorization, and your agreement. We all need love, need love and I'm not too proud to ask for mine, so definitely like, subscribe, share, follow, do everything, you know what I'm saying, to support the uh, support this new show, support this podcast. And then also check us out online, unsolicitedwithgeorged.com. You can catch the collection of all of our content. Um, you can contact me there and also cop some merch. Shout out to everybody who listened to episode five. There goes my Kiki. Um, a show or episode I couldn't get past. The chatter was too big, but I took it upon myself to create an opportunity for us to build. Moving on from that, again, the universe just keeps on conspiring and giving me the topics. You know, I'm not even force feeding this joint. So this episode right here, I can't lie to you. I was excited. This has been a very interesting week. So interesting that today I'm smoking hookah. I was excited. I don't know how y'all feel when y'all learn something new. But when I learn something new, I'd be really excited to share it. Really, really excited to share it. Let me say it like this. The first piece of inspiration came from a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson. He's on YouTube. You can check him out. Real theoretical in a lot of his approaches and a lot of things he'd be saying. I, you can always see the practicality and everything. But he had a video that I could just stumbled upon. And the video was titled or maybe it was just the content. I don't even recall. But the content was basically about like what gives men status. And I was like, hmm, let me see. So I jump into the video. The first thing that, you know, he talks about is like men get their status from economics and power and sexual success. So I started thinking about it a little bit and I go, okay, economics, okay, finances, if they got the, if they got the bag, they're doing well in business, things of that nature. Okay. Next he goes power. I go, all right, that's influence, popularity. I can see that. And then he goes sexual success. And I go, hmm, sexual success. Okay. If this is a, Ladies, man, if this is a guy who, which I, what these women will call BDE, if he walk around with this BDE, then, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Then he goes, women get their success or their status from beauty, their reproductive capacity, and sexual attractiveness. So I start thinking about it, status. You know, I start instantly thinking about, you know, people like Oprah and, you know, other women who've. Uh, matriculated to the high offices of the Supreme Court or, you know, the government, whatever the case may be. <laughs> and I go, oh, shit. <laughs> let me let me get this right. Okay, let me back up. Let me back up. Yeah, they're in good position. They're powerful. But then I start thinking about the women, the women that men actually coveting. And I go, ooh, maybe he got a point there. The reproductive capacity kind of threw me off, but then I got it, okay? You know, guys who's thinking about their legacy and things of that nature definitely want to deal with somebody who has a reproductive capacity. Sexual attractiveness never goes away. You know, if she's attractive, that's always going to be a, a win in a dude's book because we are visual, very, very, very visual. And we always want something good to look at to our eye because beauty is in the eye beholder. But beauty is always in that same vein. So I go, OK, cool. All right. I can see that. I can see that. And then he goes. Women with a high status can have a man of a higher status. And I go, let me look at that. Let me look at that. Because oftentimes what typically happens and women typically get mad. You got women who probably aren't doing so well in terms of power and success, but they can date up and date a millionaire or whatever, whatever. Then that takes me back to the beauty and reproductive capacity, sexual attractiveness, and that gives them their status in accordance with men, not necessarily in accordance with the world. So I go, okay, okay, I can see some practicality in this. And then he goes, men evaluate a woman's status by her ability to voluntarily say no. Again, I pause and I go, ooh, that's profound. In the age of right now, where we in right now, where women are saying, dude's doing it, so we doing it. They, they match and they one for one. They might have been doing it probably a little bit more clandestine in the past, but now they definitely like, I'm going for mine. 
And it's not nothing that we can really say anything about. It's just the reality of it. You know what I'm saying? But then I thought about that and that's true. And then he goes one step further. He says, an easy yes signals maybe her status is not that high. Then I think about all of attractive women that I've ever encountered or seen or indirectly and directly. And by from, from afar, looking at them, how they are dressed, um, how they, you know, present themselves, you know, their, their actual beauty, their actual sexual attractiveness and all this other stuff. And then you start talking to them and you're like, whoa, this is she green. Like. What? What's going on here? And then it just seems like for the most part, she ain't rated as bad as the one who is attractive, got the beauty, the sexual attractiveness, everything else. But she carry herself like she knows her value and her worth. And she's telling dudes, no, not everybody can get in. And then he takes it one step further. He goes, no one, uh, a no, when a woman says no, it creates a dance with men of intentionality and courtship. So like when a dude here know, how does he typically react? Now, we know about the cases where dudes are whacking, acting all kind of crazy. Um, I think I just seen something recently where a dude, um, a woman denied a guy and he talking about he could put her in her trunk or some nonsense like that. Those are the goofs. We ain't talking about them. But typically if a man has his sights on a woman and, he's, and, he, and he approaches her and he understands that she understands her value and she's not going to let him in. He's going to have to work. She doesn't, you know, bash him or play too coy, but she makes him work. Like you have to earn my attention. It creates this dance. And then I seen this other video where a dude was like, yeah, dudes want to work. Like matter of fact, his wife is a woman who turned him down and made him work. And because he worked for it, he had to wife that up. You know what I'm saying? Cause he, he seen the value in it and he discovered it further and further the more he kept pursuing her, getting to know her and putting in the work to be able to um, have the privilege, you know, or to be granted the privilege of uh, engaging with her in any or interfacing with her in any capacity. Right. And then he goes last. He says a woman's ability to say no, her capability and willingness or ability and willingness to say no is a woman's greatest tool. Like that's the greatest tool that she has in her arsenal. And I thought about them like, yeah. Before I make this point, the, one of the last things he said, he said a woman's sexual attractiveness does not increase because of her economic viability. And that's the truth. Dudes can get wealth and then they become cute. Dudes can uh, uh, attain a certain level of financial success. And women who you be like, what? They become more attractive. Because the security factor takes in place. Now, is it the same for women with men? Not necessarily. A woman could be bad or she could be average, whatever the case you want to call it, and be very wealthy and successful. Dudes ain't lining up to be with her. You know what I'm saying? They might make her an anecdotal joke like an Oprah. Like, man, if Oprah came, man, you know, she got that bag. But if Oprah didn't have that bag, nobody would even think. And even though Oprah got the bag, she still never really had a line of suitors where people were looking at her like, you know, like, yo, she could get it. Maybe they doing it somewhere that I don't see, but you kind of get my drift. And this is something that I've always thought about, right? Like I always, you know, me and my man, Tony, shout out my man, Tony. One of the things we used to say back in the day when we was on a, my former podcast, is just this notion that dudes do everything for men, for women. Most dudes, they grind and get, they, they get where they got to go and they know that they can get a woman along the way. You know what I'm saying? But for the most part, from style of dress, cars, how we present ourselves, things that we do, they're all sim symbolic of, of, of security that will make a woman see value in us. For that reason, we always think about that. But then when he's brought up this point about status, it really, really made me think about, do women understand what men really value? And this, we can get into the whole, you know, debacle. I mean, it was a whole debate online, you know, whether the Kevin Samuels talking about how value men want this or want that. But I always wanted to like say this women, that point of no is a very, very important thing. Men really, truly, really desire what others cannot have. When they have a woman, they really want a woman that no other dude could have. They want to walk through the room with a woman that everybody like, man, I tried but failed. Or I, I want to try, but I was afraid to try because shorty's so bad or she's so on point. 
when she is easily accessible, easily attainable, um, or you know what it take, trinkets, little access, things of that nature, value from a status position does not increase. It actually decreases because everybody knows there's a cheat code to this one. You don't got to be nobody. You just got to have the right things in order to get her attention and the privilege of her holistically. This brought me down a rabbit hole. Pause. In this rabbit hole, it really brought me to this place where I started thinking about intimacy. What is intimacy? What is it all about? Is it just sexual? Or what are the different forms of it? And how do we connect when, we, when we're going through this? You got this woman of status now, right? She said no. How do you connect to her? There has to be an intimate connection with this woman who would say no because she knows value, right? She has value. So trinkets and, you know, your success doesn't necessarily equal that you and her should be together. So what's something and how can you or a man get with her? And I started thinking about my past relationships, thinking about my friends, thinking about the women that I know, thinking about all these different variations of the things that they've talked about, things that they have issues with. And it landed me in intimacy, in the world of intimacy. So this is what this episode is about, intimacy. And I think I'm going to keep going down this rabbit hole and just keep sharing as well, because I think men, we may understand and we may not understand, but this part of intimacy, I think is very, very critical. And I learned something for any guy out there, tests, quiz, whatever, ever dated a woman and then um, pretty quickly within you meeting her, dating her, getting to know her, things of that nature. You start noticing and she starts behaving away and you're like, man, shorty, really in her, like she, like she, she going off the deep end. Like she's emotional, like mad emotional. Um, she's saying things like, I love you early. She's quicker than you would have imagined it. You trying to figure out how to bring her back down off that ledge. Cause you like, man, I ain't even do nothing or we haven't really done nothing. Some dudes get carried away and believe, oh man, I I put it on her and now she's stuck. She hooked. So I was coming across this idea and this notion. I was just thinking about it. And well, I'm going to go through the day and what I'm going to talk about is what I learned. It kind of helped me think about it. And if you listen to episode five, when I was at the end where, where I focused on the grace part, how the knowledge can bring grace. This may also do that for you and whoever you with. And it might be that thing that we also need to better relate, to grow healthier. Um, will help the lead within our relationships and actually choose even better. Let's get into it real quick. So what is intimacy? I used to, I hear the word all the time, you know, got ideas of what it could be. And I usually just kind of focus on the physical side of it, you know, whether it be sexual, hand-holding, hugging, you know, eye-gazing, whatever, uh, sweet nothing conversations, things of that nature. Dove into it, pause, and I kind of looked into it and it was basically saying, if intimacy, just a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or group. And I go, okay, cool. Let's go a little bit further. It's a degree of closeness and bond that exists between you and your partner. That I can, that resonates with me too, the degree. So then I go a little bit further, right? And it says basically that the quality of intimacy is one of the most significant predictors of a relationship's health and stability. Now I start really deep diving, going like thinking about all my past relationships, women that I've dated and I was probably in relationship with for years and kind of felt disconnected to or always wondered why. Like I didn't always wonder why, but sometimes you just kind of wonder why. Like, man, we, this was good, but it just didn't take me over the hill or we didn't make it over the hill. And I just was wondering about that. And it made me think about what was the quality of our intimacy? And did that ended up being the relate reason why we wasn't that healthy or we wasn't that stable? And I go, man, I start thinking like more and more, maybe I wasn't. Maybe the relationship wasn't, or the quality of the intimacy in the relationships wasn't that great. So then I go, healthy, it says healthy intimacy is associated with happiness. It's, a, it's associated with commitment and a physical and emotional well-being. Okay says it all. But sometimes you got to look at it from the opposite side. So it's like unhealthy or a lack of intimacy is one of the most common causes of distress in relationship. It causes a significant amount of emotional turmoil. So I think about relationship where it was like quality time was an issue, wasn't really touching or not touching at all. 
uh, wasn't really connecting, not really talking, not really building through conversation at all. Wasn't really finding a way to find that mutual common ground where we could explore on um, experience uh, life with and things of that nature. So I go, maybe, all right, there's an intimacy problem. But I'm like, again, still too generic. So then I go a little bit further. What is intimacy? Are there different types of intimacy and things of that nature? And oh, I discover, yes, there are. There's at least, um, you know, five different types of intimacy, right? There's emotional, there's intellectual, there's physical, there's social, and there's spiritual. I go, okay, cool. I've been with somebody before that I had a good spiritual connection with. They led me or helped nurture me in my relationship with God. I've been in one where just socially me and this person would just, we were kicking it hard body and we could move through the streets easy. You know, that was like my homie and my lover at the same time. I've been in the scene where physically in a highly romantic relationship that it was just crazy. The intimacy on that level was nuts. Been in one intellectually, sapiosexuals out there, what's up with y'all? Like me, we're stimulate like mentally, you could just get stimulated by a person and they become more and more attractive just based on how they or how you two tap into each other's intellectual uh, side. And then there's emotional. Obviously, we know the emotional because we use words like like and love. Today's focus or in this episode, the emotional intimacy is the rabbit hole that I went down. And I realize this is something that's only developed over time. I don't care if this is your male, male friendships, women to women friendships, whatever, male to female relationships, even if they're platonic, all of these types of relationships, the emotional intimacy part develops over time. So if you don't give it time, it doesn't develop the way it needs to develop. Then I go, why, 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 why? And as I go in there, I realize these are some of the requirements of emotional intimacy. So one, it requires the members to trust one another and their willingness to be open and vulnerable in expressing deeper thoughts, feelings, and needs. Key word there is willingness, being open, being vulnerable. Next requirement, the members in the relationship, they must move through the different levels of emotional intimacy together. Meaning in order to really experience or to develop your emotional intimacy over time, you have to do it together. Time itself won't determine whether or not you develop emotional intimacy. You have to develop it with your partner. You have to develop it with your friend. You have to develop it with your family. You have to develop it with your children. You have to develop it with people in general. To build and to have a solid, emotionally intimate relationship, you have to do it over time. And it has to be something you do with somebody. What's another one? And this is a big one. You must be willing to risk conflict in order to move to the next level in your emotional intimacy levels or what have you, or to grow and develop over time from an emotionally uh, intimate perspective. It's something that you have to risk rocking the boat. Now, that one really caught me because I used to say this, well, I say this still about when it comes to love. Love is a risk. And you can't love until you're willing to risk being hurt. You have to be willing to risk not being loved back in order to experience true love. You can love yourself like love, like love externally. You can love someone, right? But you can't do it on the condition that they're behaving a certain way. You just got to do it taking that risk that hopefully they love you back or they love you in a way that connects with you. I love you in a way that resonates with you. Love you in a way that you can grow as well. So, gentlemen, this is really catered to us because I got a lot of male friends and some of them were at, you know, they were post-therapy and things of that nature. And and the further I went down this rabbit hole, I realized the benefit of what therapy did to me or did for me in terms of helping me see things from different perspectives and just being able to listen and really see how I can expand. Because I was looking at it from the perspective, if I'm engaging in relationships, then I just got to be doing something on my own that will make me better suited to be in this relationship and be successful within it. Because of that, that brought me down this whole rabbit hole pause, whereby, you know, now when I'm exploring this, I'm kind of reliving the these conversations that I've had, these experiences that I had within the the, the context of therapy and, and books that I've read or things that I've seen, things that I've experienced. And that's 
definitely a big deal. We got to be willing to take the risk, like the risk to fail, the risk to, to, to succeed. It's a risk in all of it, but you can't do it thinking that you're going to get an assurance with every step. So the, the point to that was basically handling conflict in a healthy and safe way without rejection facilitates the building of trust needed to communicate at higher, more vulnerable levels. The way I interpret it is basically the more intimate the relationship get or becomes rather, the more vulnerable you have to be. And I realized that this relationship we are looking for, the two words that they're going to come around multiple times when you talk about emotional intimacy, and that's trust and vulnerability. And there's a lot of people in relationships. I got friends right now in relationships that don't trust their partner, not like trust them to do whatever. They don't trust them with their heart. Shit, I've been in relationships. I didn't even trust a woman with my heart. I ain't trust her past what I couldn't see. I put them in a box where the only thing you can do, like you couldn't hurt me. You can only just fail. You can halfway succeed, but I really wasn't open to it. Like you would have to go beyond a certain point in time. And there maybe have to be a day or a time where my defenses are low, whereby you may penetrate a pause in a way that will allow me to see, oh, damn, you might be thorough. Like you might be authentic. You might, be, this might be real. But for the most part, not really. Um, I remember being that way. But I know having conversations with so many men and, and, and women when I listen to this, is that thing where I just realized that many of us aren't taking the risk. Many of us are so afraid of being hurt that we don't take no risks. We keep a guard up until somebody breaks down the guard or makes us feel like we got to let go of the guard. But typically, it sometimes comes from the act of deception. But let's get into it a little bit further. So when it comes to intimacy, the relationship itself, it operates at the emotional intimacy level of the member with the lowest operating level. So we're going to get into it. It's about like five different levels of emotional intimacy and where the relationship is operating at is operating at where that, where one of those individuals, whoever that individual is. So let's say there's five, level five is the top highest and level one is the lowest. If one is operating at three and one is operating at one, the relationship is operating at one. It's not operating at three. And let's find out why. All right. So the five level of emotion, uh, five levels of emotional intimacy starts here with level one, where you are dealing with safe communication. So this is you meeting somebody for the first time or when you first start dating, it's very safe communication. That's what level one is, safe communication. And here, this is the, involves the exchange of just factual information, just facts and regular nuanced, generalistic information. There's no opinions added to this. There's no personal vulnerability added to state. This is that, what's your name? Where you from? What school you went to? You know, did you go to prom type questions? Things that you can talk about that are negligible. You would walk away not feeling more connected to anybody at all. You just had the conversation. The parties don't know one another. And they share with minimal, minimal intimacy. How long does it really take before you stop having this safe fact-based, information-based conversations where it's just safe, where you just, like you haven't let the, where you keep the person still outside of your gates. You're talking no less, but they're still outside of your gates. So let's say you graduate from that. The next level is level two. This is when you start sharing other people's opinions and beliefs. Again, not your own, other people's. So it's totally about you sharing somebody else's thoughts, their beliefs, and opinions of other people. You are kind of revealing yourself a little bit more because now you're doing it vicariously through somebody else. It might be a, a movie that you liked. It might have been a book that you read. It might be an author. It might be a director. It might be someone. It could be your mom. It could be your aunt. It could be your child. It could be your friend. It could be somebody, but it's not you. But you're expressing the opinions of beliefs of other individuals. Right. And the biggest thing that I learned about this is that when we do this, although we're increasing our vulnerability, it really allows you an escape. This is that place where you can say something to somebody, but because it's not your own opinion or your own belief, if that individual said something or criticized it or whatever the case may be, you could deflect it. Right. 
and change and be like, well, that ain't my thought. I just was letting you know what they was talking about or that's what they said. And in many ways, this could also be like a test of sorts, right? If I put this information in your face, pause, or I tell you this, or I tell you somebody else's opinions or somebody else's beliefs and your response to it will probably let me know more than likely what is safe for me to let go, what is safe for me to disclose. So then that's when we get to level three. Let's say you do feel safe. You're like, okay, I, sh- I told them what this person thinks or with that, da, 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 and they vibed with it. They was on point with that, but that's how I kind of feel too. So now you start sharing your personal opinions and beliefs at level three. So now this is your willingness to start taking these small little risks by sharing your thoughts, your opinions, and your beliefs. Now, although you're still able to, you know, you're still vulnerable, but you still have a back out. Because at this point, you still can change your stance. You can still say, well, I'm changing my opinion or I now change my opinion. Whatever you want to do to avoid any type of conflict or pain. Those are people who you be talking to sometimes. They say something. And then you, when you say something, man, I was just playing, man. I ain't, I ain't mean that. I ain't mean that. And you're like, yes, you did. Nah, nah, I ain't mean that. I was just joking. I just wanted to see what you was going to say. Yeah, right. But more often than not, that's what people use as their back out. I'm going to express start expressing my pain, my personal opinions and beliefs, but my back out or my back out strategy is that if it can create any type of conflict or whatever the case may be or something I'm trying to avoid, if I feel like it's going to ruffle feathers or it doesn't resonate, I can change my position and say, well, you know what? After listening to you, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. I was bugging. You could change that opinion and people probably ride with it. Or you could say I was joking and people probably ride with it as well. But let's just say hypothetically, now you've expressed your personal opinions and your beliefs. And now you're like, oh, they, this works. This resonates. I'm still comfortable. You know, me and this person are in agreement. Now you graduate to level four. Now you start expressing your own feelings and your own experiences. Now you're sharing your joys, your pains, your failures, your mistakes, your past, your dreams, your goals, um, your likes and dislikes. The things that you believe make you you. You start sharing those things. Now you're really getting personal. Here's a catch. At this level, you really can't back out. There ain't really too much of a back out. The only back out you got is if you try to convince somebody that maybe you've grown. This is like people pulling up old past tweets and Instagram posts or whatever, where people felt some kind of way at one particular time. And they can't tell, they can't, they can't tell anybody they didn't think that or feel that. Now they got to say, oh, I was stupid then, or I was ignorant then. I didn't know any better than now I do. They still are responsible to that because there's no back out. But now the only thing they can, the only leg they have to stand on is changing and saying that they've grown, they've changed, they've learned, they're doing better and they are better. Um, and they don't hold the same position that they hold at one point. Let's just say hypothetically, you're expressing your feelings and your pains, uh, your feelings and your experiences. You got your opinions and your beliefs out there and your thoughts. You um, have shared factual information. You shared the, the opinions and, and beliefs of other people. All these levels are on point. Now you get to the next one. Now this next one is your needs your emotions and desires. Now you at the top level. And at this top level right here, this is the highest level of intimacy. And now you sharing all these personal beliefs, thoughts and everything. Now you get into your personal needs and your emotions. Now this ain't just like, this is love. It's deep seated emotion. When somebody arrives here, this is where they want to be known at their deepest core because they're giving you all they got. Emotionally, they're all in. All their chips are in. They are fully cashing in all their chips. One of the things that is very, very evident at this point is that you can see someone's emotional reactions. Emotional reactions to their thoughts, their communication, you know, their expression of their thoughts, their needs, their emotions, their desires, and beyond. You can't escape at this level. You're there. You are all the way in. You're showing somebody who you really are. And the biggest thing here is If you fear, your fear is that your vulnerability be used against you. I've met people who wouldn't say certain things or they say, I have a hard time sharing certain things about my past or about me because I don't want it to be used against me. You don't got to even think too hard about this one. People make mistakes all the time. You probably could have made a mistake in your past or probably was living young, wild and free at one point in your life and you regret it. 
or you've grown from it, that's not something you easily share all the time. And you probably will only share when you feel most comfortable in, in, with someone and you trust them and you're, you're comfortable being vulnerable with them. But more often than not, a lot of those things you take to the grave. At this level, level five, it requires the greatest amount of trust because at this point, this is the greatest amount of vulnerability that you have at level five when you're communicating your, your needs, your emotions, and your desires. At this level, you're also con- communicating your hurt and those feelings and those needs. Like, I, I need to feel respected by you. Something that most men should tell women, but they don't, which is like, your respect, I, d- I need that. Bottom line, period. I don't want it. I need it. Last episode, we talked about standards and, uh, and preferences. That's it. My standard is that I need your respect. If you don't respect me, we're not going anywhere. This relationship will not move. So we need to establish respect. Another one. I want your time. Give me your time. I want your time. I want your intentions. I want it. Again, that, that's communicating a desire. That's communicating a need. That's communicating emotion. Implicitly, you are doing that. I'm going to stop there with this because I really, something else came about and it deals with the physical intimacy side because if you're going through all five of these levels, what winds up happening is that nine times out of 10, there's affection happening also. And if affection is happening, this involves sexual and affectionate touching. Uh, you could be, you're holding hands, you're hugging, you're kissing, you're cuddling, sexing. There's definitely something that can happen here. All right. And affectionate touching is critical to building closeness or the feeling of closeness um, between two people. So we go a little bit further. Sex. That's like a common thing right now. It's just so pervasive in and everything that we got going on in life. So I'm bringing this into this conversation of emotional intimacy because sex can do two things on this, on this journey through your emotional intimacy. And this is the part of this conversation that, or the, the, this thing that really affected me the most. Identifying where I was from an emotional intimacy standpoint and the relationship to sex. I've been in relationships where I've been totally platonic or totally abstinent, non-sexual, and I've been in ones that have been sexually romantic and intimate in that capacity. So I've been doing like this comparative analysis for days now, just really just assessing the quality of the relationship, quality of the intimacy, of the emotional intimacy, and seeing how the sex impacted it, if at all. And this is why. First and foremost, level five is the most optimal time or level in your emotional intimacy uh, where sex is the healthiest, the safest, and the most intimate place. Again, this is where you're communicating your emotions, your desires, and your needs. You're fully vulnerable. You're fully trusting, or you should be. That's the goal at this point. But you're definitely vulnerable. You're definitely open. You're communicating these hard lines, these deep-seated emotions, deep thoughts. You deeply want to be known at your core. You deeply want to be accepted. And I mean, yeah, you always want to be accepted, but you're at that place where you risked it all. And if you're having sex, this is at Y'all, you're at level five. This is where it's deep. It's important to know that love, uh, sex can happen at any level now. It can happen at one, two, three, four, and five. One safe communication, met somebody for one night stand. You could be at a safe space, but you just wanted to have sex. You could have sex, right? The lower levels of in- intimacy all present a challenge like ex- anxiety, fear, and distrust due to a lack of trust and vulnerability. So if you're having sex at any level lower than five, These types of feelings can exist, anxiety, fear, and distrust. Your past sexual traumas, your past relationships, all these things impact this anxiety, this distrust, and so forth. But the most important piece about this, what I had to learn or what I learned, but I didn't learn, which is the the bonding agent that sex can be. And because it's a bonding agent, two can feel more close than they actually are because sex brings you closer to somebody. In some capacity, when you give up yourself, you can't help but to feel connected to that person in that instant. The biggest thing about it is 
Sex can be used in a multitude of ways. It can be used to resolve conflict, to communicate, and it can be used to express emotion. While you're going through these levels of intimacy and you start to have sex, now you got to understand that it can make that seem greater than whatever. Now, the caveat is, are you growing together? Are y'all going level one, two, three, four, and five together? Oftentimes, that's not the case. Somebody always catches more feelings than the next. So when that person at the top level, right, brought up the, the, I started off by saying emotional. They're emotional. You're like, oh, she emotional, she emotional. He acting this way. I put it on them, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it, right? It may be because they're operating at a higher level of, of emotional intimacy than you are. And what they're showing you and what they're expressing is the reality that you're not where they are, which is the obvious. But beyond that, when you're experiencing the conflicts that arise with that, that can produce anxiety, can produce fear, can produce distrust. And then people start being suspicious. People start behaving in ways that doesn't necessarily align to the person who's probably operating at a lower uh, intimacy level because they don't understand it. They're like, why are you tripping? We're not even on that kind of level. We haven't done this. They haven't qua- the, 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 the things that they use to measure and qualify whether or not you should behave the way you're behaving or talk the way you're talking don't exist. It doesn't exist to them. They're like, I don't get it. I don't see it. And it brought me to my place where I was thinking about my past relationships where I was like, What's, why is there a disconnect? Like, why are you saying these things? Why are you behaving these ways when this hasn't happened or only this amount of time has elapsed? Like, it's only been three months. It's only been six because I'm moving at a probably a way more slower pace than them. Not probably intentionally or purposely, but just I'm at a different place based on my own experiences where for them, they're not. And then it, that ends up killing the novelty that most people usually experience when you first meet somebody. Sometimes it may last a year, but then for whatever reason, it's like you guys hit a wall. It's like a boom. And you're trying to figure out like, what's going on here? So I started getting into my spiritual bag, started thinking about this from different angles. And, you know, biblically, you know, this is maybe why they say sex between two, you know, um, is reserved for two because they become one, Right. It was designed to bond them spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. Maybe this is why God said, okay, it should be something that you only do when you get married. Because it helps bond those two. Okay, maybe that's what it is. Everybody has a different relationship with God, but beyond their relationship with God, how they follow the word or the tenets and things like that, different story. But let's go from a a physiological perspective, which again, God is dope because the way he's designed and created as he's designed and created us to be emotional beings. Last episode, I talked about how one of the things that uh, we, we got to remember is that all of our senses, touch, smell, taste, all that communicates in our body through electrical signals. And it comes through the base of our, our cranium off our spinal cord. But then before it gets to our frontal lobe, where we do most of our, where we do our thinking at, our rationalization and breaking things down logically, we... Those, those, those signals or those thoughts or those senses, whatever that case may be, comes through that limbic system, where our, which is that emotional zone of our brain. So we're processing it from an emotional standpoint. So that's why whatever receptors, I don't care if you look, responding to light in the morning, imagine it's bright and it was super dark and somebody's trying to wake you up. Whatever that initial reaction from nine times to 10 is your emotional reaction before you like, damn, I do got to get up. The logic says, yes, it's time, but the feeling might be like, man, I don't feel like getting up and you're going to react based off that. Or if you woke up late, it's like, oh shit, right? That feeling is going to hit you long before the body starts to move in a certain kind of way. And that's what makes you jump that way. But nevertheless, physiologically, something that helps and aids in this bonding agent that that sex, and, and especially when it comes to intimacy, is the hormone oxytocin. So the nerd in me goes into it and finds out that this is a hormone produced that is secreted into the bloodstream by the, I think the, they call it the posterior pituitary gland. So we all know the pituitary gland, if you took sex ed in school and things of that nature, and you know, you know, that has to do with your reproduction system and reproductive system and a whole nine and blah, 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 not getting into that, but going into oxytocin years ago, I used to hear, I, I know a woman and she brought that up, told me about it. In terms of whatever, but it was like a running joke. Oh, releasing some oxytocin, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd laugh to it, joke to it, whatever. I just thought, you know, 
you know, med student. She was just on her like, I learned some laughing, joking, blah, 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 blah. But then I start coming back and revisiting this. You start going into and you start realizing that this is a hormone they call the hormone of love or the cuddle chemical because of its properties, right? It naturally mad- manages all the the, the, rep- the aspects of the female and the male reproductive systems, yes, but sexually it acts as a chemical messenger in the brain. Oxytocin in the brain acts as a chemical messenger that affects different social behaviors and interactions, such as your sexual arousal, trust, and romantic attachment. So when you're releasing oxytocin, you release to arouse you sexually. It can be aroused by stimulating interactions and it can do the same thing in terms of those interactions of romantic attachments. It can help bond in, 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 and lock you into somebody from a romantic perspective. That's deep. So again, considering sex's ability to, 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 to act as a bonding agent, it can make any two individuals feel way closer than what is actually true because the emotional intimacy level that we're operating at, again, is still operating at the base level of the person who's operating at the lower um, intimacy level. But imagine you're at a four and they're at a three and y'all have sex. You might feel like y'all both at a four because you at a four and because y'all just had sex the way you like to have sex. Or y'all experience intimacy on a level that really resonates with you. So you may assume or believe that this person may be at a four too. When you're not interacting in that way, maybe you might start to see the disconnect even more. But whenever you do something like this and you're releasing that oxytocin, you may feel more closer and connected to people. And I thought about that. How many relationships have I been in or or situations or whatever the case may be where you're in? And one day it's just not what you think. It's, it's like, nah, this ain't for me. And then you have this intimate experience and now you start going, maybe I'm tripping. I'm going to give it another day. <laughs> I'm going to give it another moment. I'm going to give it another hour. I'm going to give it another something because now you feel like, okay, maybe there's more there. I might be tripping because we just experienced this great moment, this great whatever. And the truth of the matter is it's a false sense of intimacy. The reason why that's important is because a relationship can stall there. If I'm at a four, you at a three and sex keeps us close, it keeps bonding us. Whenever we feel like we're disconnecting, or disconnected, what we're going to do, resort back to or resort back to that thing that helps makes us feel like we are connected. Because now we're going to use sex for two reasons, to connect us and to validate whether or not we should exist or not. So if y'all have sex and it sucks, you're going to be like, I don't know, this ain't really working for me. If you have sex and it's great, it hits the spot, you might be like, man, I'm bugging. We just need to keep working. We're going to figure this out. And that's happened so many times in so many relationships. And we stall like that. And relationships can last years going through this stale part, this, this, this stalling process, this cyclical stalling process, because you're staying in your safe zone. If you got to a three and you feel most comfortable at three, you stay at a three and the person at four stays at four or they go to five, they're going to bicker and argue because and have those issues because they're operating at two different levels. But then they're going to have this thing that's keeping them tied together, right? And it's not until much later in life where that thing doesn't exist anymore. Let's say you two aren't kissing anymore. You aren't touching anymore. You aren't doing anything that bonds you to the other individual. What winds up happening is what? You start seeing the relationship as like a loss now. Like maybe it's best we give this thing up. Maybe we've run our course. The thing that would make us have sex is no longer there no more. The thing that would make us touch and figure out ways to make it's not there no more. We can't fake it anymore. We can't pretend anymore. And what I realize is you might be at these two disparate levels or these different levels of intimacy. And because of that, or the lack of recognition of that, you just start to believe that somebody isn't suited for you. Now, why am I saying that? Because what if you just realized even further now that this person may be dealing with Maybe may really be having vulnerability and trust issues that exist, whether you are there or not. These issues are deep seated in them, deep rooted in them, and they have never addressed them. They've never done the work to address them. Maybe you are a part of it. Maybe you cause some of the distrust or the the thing that made them go to a safe place within a uh, from an intimate perspective within a relationship. You you help bring that about in them, maybe, but 
that could keep the relationship from growing. So this is a two-part part piece. Yes, let's say you did do something to offend somebody. You transgressed in some capacity, and now they've regressed to a lower level in the emotional intimacy run. They went from a five to a three. You're still trying to operate at a five because you still feel five for them. They may want to, may desire in their heart to get back to five, but they don't feel they can trust or feel willing or, or are willing to be vulnerable anymore. There's no willingness there to take that risk to try to get back to a five. You might endure for some time, but after a while, it's important for you to recognize you're operating at a lower level. And whether I was the cause of it or not, at some point, you as the person operating at level three have to understand that only you can make the risk decision. Only you can make the risk-based decision to work to get back to level five or help me help you get back to level five. Not leave it in my hands or your hands to do, but you have to get back to level five in order for us to be operating at our healthiest, more viable um, and beneficial a level of emotional intimacy. This has caused me to do personal self-assessments within me and I put it in your lap, gentlemen. As we become more emotionally intelligent, emotionally aware, for those of us that seek to be in relationship, for those of us that are in relationship, it's incumbent upon us to understand where we are from an emotional intimacy level perspective. Where are we? Are we at level one, two, three, four, or five? Are you at that safe communication? All you're doing is sharing facts and information. Are you at two where you're only sharing other people's opinions and beliefs? Are you at level three where you're finally just telling your personal opinions and beliefs? That's just your space, but you're not getting into your feelings or your experiences about anything at level four. Or are you at level five where you're, you, you're doing everything? You're sharing the facts, the, the beliefs of others and the opinions of others, your opinions, your beliefs your feelings, uh, your experiences, your needs, your emotions, and your desires. Where are you at? Do your best to try to assess your partner, have a conversations with your partner, and find out where they are. And then ask the, the, the most basic question you can possibly ask, which is why. The how we got here, I mean, you're going to definitely ask that, you know, but definitely ask why. Why are we there? You're going to discover how. But in any event, are you willing to take the risk? Are you willing to take the risk to trust? Are you willing to take the risk to be vulnerable, even if it brings about pain? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to risk conflict, us going back and forth, arguing, heated discussion, hard conversations to the benefit of us operating at the highest level of emotional intimacy? So I put that in your lap, gentlemen. Because they usually say that we are the less emotional individuals in our relationships. And we normally see it expressed in other areas. You might see your girl do it, you know, with her homegirls or her best friends or whatever the case would be. And we might look at that and we and that sometimes becomes very revealing to us. Like, why don't they don't behave like that with me? So you might think they're acting fraudulently either with them or you. I'm the type of person who would think that. But the biggest thing about that is. Just understanding that like we have a responsibility to ourselves first as men to say, where are we on our emotional level? Like, where are our blockages? Do we have any impediments? Are we, are we unwilling to take the risk and are we, or are we willing to? And if we are unwilling to, be, to take the risk of conflict, to risk conflict, to risk being vulnerable, risk trusting, if we're unavailable to do that, we got to start moving differently. Like not maybe being with people that we are in relationship with if we're choosing to stay there. But if you're choosing to not stay there, then this is the beginning. The knowledge gives you power to now start making some changes in your life and in your relationships so that you and your partner can grow. But most importantly, you can operate in a healthy space that continues to help your personal growth and your you can be better and your participation in helping the relationship be as great as it possibly could be. One of my boys told me this one time. He was like, gee, you got to start building stuff up to, to, to break it all down. And that's how it really is. We'd be really working to be building, get to know somebody, do the right things, make them smile, make them happy, do all these different things, only to get to a place whereby we start throwing our hands up because they're not acting the way we think they, they should be acting. And we all come to these relationships very imperfect very fallible, 
and not necessarily best suited for the person that we're with. We might have some experiences that help us be better for the person that we choose. However, everybody, every relationship is custom. So when you enter into a new relationship, we got to remember, we got to retrofit this thing. We go custom fit it rather. How do we get customized to each other? And it's going to be based on all the things, where we've come from and where we're trying to go, but also that understanding of where we are and being more aware of that and doing the work on our own time as well to make sure that we become more whole. We become better at understanding what level we're operating on and positioning ourselves and helping the other person be more successful with us so that we can grow together. And if you find yourself operating at level three and your partner operating at level five, being able to come to them and saying, this is the level I'm operating at. And this is, these are the things that I would need from you, or these are the things that I'm working on so that I can meet you here. This understanding may cause a, a lot of conversations and arguments to go out the wayside because now you are operating from a place of greater understanding. So with that being said, I really just thank everybody for listening to this episode. I hope you got some from this. Definitely shoot me an email, um, unsolicited with G at Gmail. You can go on the website, contact me there, send me that. Send me your thoughts on this episode. Definitely follow us on um, on Instagram. That's the only platform I'm on right now. Unsolicited with G right there, with George D on um, on Instagram. But just overall, definitely give me some feedback. Let me know what your thoughts are. I really want to know what, you, what women and men think about this particular topic. And if you can identify with any of the things that that, that were expressed during this episode. Again, this is unsolicited from me. Um, you know, just being prompted by the universe to spread some love and speak life into us one episode at a time, to be truthfully honest. And this episode right here is really me speaking life into all of us because this emotional intelligence or the emotional intimacy portion, just understanding this, can really start breathing some new life into ourselves and our relationships. And with that being said, I thank you for listening. It's your boy, George D. Mount. Yeah, that's the